Welcome to the Georgetown Public Policy Review podcast series. This is Shane McCarthy, Senior Online Editor. Today, I spoke with Senator Chris Murphy, the junior United States Senator from Connecticut, about his vision for the future of democratic foreign policy and America's role in the world. All right. Um, So, Senator, again, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, I wanted to begin sort of with a broader focus on the direction of U.S. foreign policy and then sort of delve in more specifically to some of the, uh, the regions of the world. So um, over the last eight years or so, we've seen many foreign policy successes under the Obama administration, but we've also been confronted with many ongoing challenges and seemingly intractable conflicts. Um, right now, obviously, we're looking forward to a new administration. Um, And there have been some that have called for the Democratic Party to put forward a more coherent vision for America's role in the world. Um, Last year, you, along with Senator Schatz and Heinrich, laid out what you called the principles of a progressive foreign policy. I was wondering if you could uh, go in a little bit on what these principles entail and how the Democratic Party can move forward to embrace them. I'm a believer generally in what's been titled the Obama Doctrine. You know, President Obama's foreign policy has been guided by restraint, and uh, I think that it's um, been, by and large, uh, a very smart exercise of, of caution, especially when committing U.S. military forces abroad. My worry is that during the last eight years, Democrats have, by and large, relied on one person, President Obama to set the foreign policy philosophy of our party. And, you know, our effort in outlining a progressive foreign, a new progressive foreign policy is really about making sure that there is some, you know, coherent storyline to uh, foreign policy thought on the Democratic side after uh, President Obama leaves office. Um, You know, if there's one failing uh, of the last eight years, it's, it's that we have continued to hand more and more power to the military and largely ignored the importance of building up other non-military um, uh, uh, tools um, within the foreign policy toolkit. Uh, so uh, you know, a lot of what we talk about in that op-ed is making sure that everyone from the Department of Energy to the State Department to USAID um, has the resources necessary to try to project U.S. power abroad in a way that often that, that doesn't always come with the face of the U.S. military. I see. So what are, I guess, some of the specific ways that we can begin to uh, shift our focus away from military power toward more civilian, more diplomatic um, means and tools? Well, you know, this, this, we have to recognize Projecting power often in non-military ways. So Russia tries to win friends and, and influence undecided um, through propaganda and energy bribery and old-fashioned uh, theft, graft, and intimidation. So you know to meet uh, you know to, to meet an adversary like Russia today, you need to have resources that help counter-propaganda. You need to help countries on the periphery become energy independent. Uh, and you need to make major investments 
in good, clean government um, in places that Russia is trying to corrupt. And none of those projects are military projects. Those are all projects of USAID or the Department of Energy or the Department of State. Um, and while we've dramatically increased funding for the military uh, since September 11th, we have not dramatically increased funding uh, for, the, for the projects that try to rebut some of these non-military um, uh, influencers that are used by countries like Russia. I think one thing that has um, sort of, you know, been on the mindset of a lot of Democrats and a lot of progressives uh, under the Obama administration was, he, you know, he came into office originally uh, wanting to sort of move away from a lot of the uh, the doctrines of the Bush administration, specifically with regard to uh, uh, things like mass surveillance, things like the use of drone strikes, et cetera. But we've sort of seen that continued over the course of uh, these last eight years. Um, where do you see programs like that going into the near future? Well, uh, we made a, you know, don't discount the major change we made to U.S. surveillance laws. Uh, you know, we did uh, repeal and, um, or not repeal, we did dramatically reform Patriot Act um, in a way that, that does, you know, recast the role of the administration in, in, in surveillance programs. ask about several areas of the world that seem to be of great importance to our national interests, but uh, have sort of been put by the wayside in the, uh, the tumult of our election. So you've been one of the few voices on Capitol Hill that has brought into question our support for the Saudi-led military campaign in Yemen against the Houthi rebels. Um, you know, so far this assistance has primarily been in the form of weapons intelligence support, but two weeks ago we really saw a major shift in course uh, when we saw a U.S. destroyer uh, directly firing Tomahawk cruise missiles at rebel positions. Um, you know, it seems to me that with the continuing turmoil in Syria, there hasn't been much attention paid to the civil war in Yemen, which is now coming up on 18 months. Uh, do you think the United States has an actual vested interest in the Yemeni conflict? Um, or at what point should we begin to question our support for the actions that the Saudis have been taking there? Well, my worry all along has been that we would get dragged deeper and deeper into this conflict. That's exactly what's happening. Um, U.S. participation inside the civil war in Yemen is not in our national security interest. Uh, we are facilitating the slaughter of thousands of civilians, and we are, um, uh, and our uh, engagement is leading to the expansion of groups like Al Qaeda and ISIS, our named sworn enemies and first priorities for defeat in the region. Uh, so I, I think it's time for the United States to, um, to pull our 
coalition. I, I can't imagine how much worse it can get. And we've told them all along our support is not a blank check, and yet we show no signs of actually making good on this stated threat of reducing or withdrawing support if the conduct of the war by the Saudis doesn't change. Uh, another area, this one a little bit closer to home, which doesn't seem to get the coverage it deserves, is Venezuela. Uh, over the past year, we've seen that country fall into a state of economic and social crisis. Massive food shortages, unemployment, um, you know, hospitals lacking necessary supplies, and now a violent crackdown against public demonstrations. Um, you know, with the news this week, it seems that any chance of a recall election against President Maduro has been effectively halted for the time being. Um, you know, the United States has had a rocky relationship with Venezuela for some time, but things now seem to be as dire as they've ever been. And do you see a path forward to help the Venezuelan people reach some level of stability? Well, the State Department Council, Tom Shannon, is headed to Venezuela this week. We remain actively involved in trying to uh, help find the path forward for the Venezuelan people. Uh, clearly, we start from a very difficult position having had a, a virtually non-existent relationship with Venezuela through the Chavez years, are, you know, we are attempting to recast our image and many of our relationships in uh, Central and South America um, by virtue of our new uh, relationship with Cuba. Um, had we taken these steps from Cuba five years ago, maybe we would be in a better position today uh, to try to have influence inside Venezuela, but we're clearly starting from a very difficult point, um, uh, you know, due to years of difficult relationships in Venezuela. Thank you. And finally, uh, I wanted to ask about the Philippines. Uh, what are we to make of the statements being made by President Duterte in which he's called for a separation, quote-unquote, from the U.S., as well as the actions he's taken uh, to violently crack down on drugs in this country? I met with uh, President Duterte this summer. Uh, I was part of a delegation that was the first uh, congressional delegation to meet with Duterte. Uh, you know, none of uh, his comments or actions since my visit to the Philippines comes as a surprise. It was clear in our meeting with Duterte uh, that he was um, committed to forging his, his own path. Um, you know, I think Duterte uh, you know, wants to have it all. He wants a, relation, a new economic and security relationship with China, and he wants to continue to rely on the United States as a treaty ally. You know, at, at, at some point, you know, a treaty alliance has to go both ways. If Duterte isn't interested in doing joint exercises with us, if he's not interested in making it easy for our military to operate within his borders, then it makes it very hard for us to fulfill our obligations to defend the Philippines in the case of attack. So at some point, Duterte is going to have to make a decision as to whether he wants to be a treaty ally with the United States or not. You know, ultimately, I don't. Uh, ultimately, the Filipino people made this decision a long time ago. The Filipino people uh, have enormous reverence and support for the United States. They don't want to live under the thumb of China, and it'll be to Duterte's political detriment if he if he starts to make choices that cut out the United States and more deeply align the Philippines with China. Thank you. And finally, Senator, you know, right now we're eight days out from Election Day. Uh, I know you're not up this cycle, but if you have any thoughts you'd like to share with voters across the country, we'd love to hear them. Well, I, you know, Donald Trump has made 
is totally unprepared to be commander-in-chief. He knows nothing about foreign policy and doesn't show any interest in learning. He would be the most dangerous president that the United States has ever elected. And I have faith that the American people are going to see how dangerous and reckless a president he would be. Uh, and she's Hillary Clinton, who's ready to do this job and to represent this country abroad on day one. All right. Thank you very much, Senator. We really appreciate right. it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the GPPR podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in more, check out gppreview.com, our Facebook page, GPP Review, and our Twitter, at GP Policy Review.